Welcome to the Limited Slip Podcast, your week's automotive news in 20 minutes. We compress all the news in the auto, motorcycle, and racing worlds for you into our 20-minute podcast. Your hosts are me, Dave, an attorney and car importer, and Borja, the mechanic extraordinaire. This is Dave and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast. This episode of the Limited Slip Podcast is brought to you by Retromobile Designs. If you are looking for auto and racing themed t-shirts that look cool to the average show, but get an approving nod from other gearheads, check them out at RetromobileDesigns.com. That's RetromobileDesigns.com. We want to get uh, straight to the news and something big. Uh, once again, talking about SSC, uh, for those of you who... Uh, listened to us last week or didn't, uh, well, there's been a, SSC has been a big topic recently because there's been some questions about the veracity of their speed record, uh, mainly by some YouTubers that posted some videos saying, hey, we we're really not sure if this really happened. Here's why we think it didn't happen. Uh, well, SSC, after a couple of official announcements that were not very satisfying, uh, Jared Shelby came out with a YouTube video uh, over at the SSD channel saying, hey, we know there are questions. Uh, this record, we know that even if we come out with a video, it's going to be looked at as tainted. So the only option that we see to make sure that we can actually show you that we did, our vehicle is really able to achieve those speeds is we're going to be rerunning the record. And then on top of that, they invited these YouTubers over. It says, you're welcome to join us, be there live with us, see the car, beat the record, but we're going to do it again. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we do know it's going to happen. So, Yeah, I feel, I feel pretty, I think both of us feel pretty vindicated about this. This is pretty much exactly what you've been saying. They, they have to do it again, and there's no way to salvage the, the current run. So we're happy to see them own up to that as well as move forward with it. So I think that'll be exciting to see. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about this. Uh, the new 2022 golf R Borja is a long, is a longtime fan of this top shelf Volkswagen golf as a former owner of the wonderful R 32. Yeah. Now the, the golf R is, uh, is the fastest, Volkswagen Golf that they make. It's all wheel drive. And this is, you know, the basic formula is not going to change, right? So for 2022, we're actually not going to get the normal Golf in the USA anymore. And we're going to get the GTI and the Golf R. So the Golf R is going to have the same EA888 engine, this two liter inline four turbo that it's had before, but it's going to have an increase in power this time to 315. We'll have a manual transmission still available. You'll also be able to get a DSG semi-automatic and it's going to come in one trim. It's like previous golf R's, which is basically everything that you can get on a golf is going to, it's going to come with it. I guess uh, the big improvement that we get this time with the golf R is with the all wheel drive system. So it has this Haldex all wheel drive system like it's had before. But this time we're going to have rear axle torque vectoring. So unlike previous Haldex systems, it's going to be more focused on like a permanent all-wheel drive system rather than a, rather than a front-biased all-wheel drive system. 
And with the torque vectoring, it's going to intelligently send power to the right or the left wheel. So, you know, like when you're going through a corner, you want to send more power to the outside wheel, right? So it's, it's going to know how to do that. And also, interestingly, this is the, really the first system of its kind in a, in a more basic car that's able to communicate to the braking system and with the suspension system. So not only is it going to send extra power to the, to the outside wheel, it's going to brake, apply some slight brake pressure to the inside wheel. So this should make it feel like it has a shorter wheelbase, make it more turnable, but also give it greater acceleration coming out of corners. It's pretty quick. Um, they were looking at zero to 16 around 4.7 seconds and Nürburgring time around seven minutes, 51 seconds. So they say, um, that is, quicker accelerating than a civic type R, but it's a little bit slower around the Nürburgring. Um, yeah, I guess one thing that I find really interesting, I, I was looking at the, the steering ratio and it's, it's very, very quick steering. It's going to have 2.1 turns lock to lock. That's, that's really, really, it's really fast. So I, I'm a big fan of that. I appreciate that. You know, um, as you said, as a, former owner of an R32, I've always been huge fan of the R32s and the R lineup. And I no exception with this one. There is one thing, though, that I'm a little bit disappointed with the 2022 Golf R, which is the power. You know, it's, uh, I feel like it's still underpowered. I mean, the, the Mark IV R32 came out with 250 horsepower. The Mark V was slightly more, I think it was two or three horsepowers. Uh, or five horsepower more than the Mark IV. So we're talking that between 2004 and 2020, we went from 250 to 315. And sure, uh, especially nowadays, you can get aftermarket tunes that will give you crazy power on these Golf R's for minimal cost, especially uh, in the Mark VII generation. And I'm expecting the same thing. It'll be here with the Mark VIII uh, generation. But... 315 horsepower from the factory. I feel like it's a bit underpowered. I think that um, it should be more along the lines of the 350 to 360, 375 stock um, to be able to say, okay, this is really the baddest golf R that we can, that we can produce. Uh, that yeah, really is my only gripe. Yeah. I think that this is a result of them trying to maintain some distance between the more expensive, faster Audis that are built on the same platform, but those, those come with an inline five cylinder, you know, and they're, they're above yeah. 400. So I, I agree that, you know, 350 would be a good spot to have it. That's, you know, finally we got a good increase in horsepower in the GTI. It was stuck around 200 for a long time and they finally bumped it up to 240. So, you know, we know the engines are capable of more, it is a little bit disappointing to see them not reach their potential. Yeah, but you know, new, good news is uh, companies like APR. You know, for uh, six seven hundred dollars, you can bump it up from three fifteen to three sixty three seventy, no problems whatsoever. So the upgrade yeah. on the aftermarket is not extremely expensive. Yeah, I, I, we just wish it would have been stock. But. Yeah. Uh, now along those same lines, we have again coming 2022, the new Subaru BRZ. So, you know, the BRZ is this kind of small coupe that's built to kind of compete kind of with a Miata. Toyota makes a GT86 off of the same platform. <clears throat> and this is basically a small, lightweight, inexpensive two plus two. It's designed to be a, an enthusiast car for 
less expensive. Now they finally released some teaser images of it. And the looks are actually really interesting on the BRZ. It's, it's like halfway between a Porsche Panamera and a, and a Honda S2000. Now we're not getting very much a, a very big portion of the car, but it's going to look, I think it's going to look really good. The other, the other thing is we don't really know what engine it's going to have yet. We know it's going to have a, a boxer for like the current generation. Now, Subaru has a couple different options in that category and whether they'll get the same engine in the United States as they do overseas or whether we'll get the larger engine is still not clear. But right now we're looking at the most likely option being their Subaru's 2.4 liter in uh, flat four, which is 217 horsepower but they also have that same engine turbocharged at 260. So either one of those is more than the current two liter flat four. So we'll, I guess we'll know more information on this on November 18th when they plan on really revealing the whole car. So, yeah, I really hope that, um, it, I think it would be nice if they could offer both engines, you know, the 2.4 as your base, uh, um, and then the turbocharged version of it as an upgrade. I have driven, I've never driven a BRZ, but I have driven the GT86. And let me tell you, if you haven't driven one, you're missing out because it is an excellent driver's car. That said, uh, it's a bit underpowered. And just having that 260 horsepower turbocharged engine, I think it would uh, liven up the car a lot more and it'll make it the car that everybody wanted in the first place. Yeah, I, I think it's intentionally underpowered. So you know, I think the whole idea is to focus more on the chassis and the, but anyways, I, I agree. I, th I think a little bit more power would make it a better car. Yeah. So, well, we also have some teaser images of the next generation, the 992 generation Porsche 911 GT3 this is expected to be basically the same formula as before reduced weight, rear wheel drive, kind of a track focused version, uh, kind of the basis of their racing cars is one of the reasons why they have it. And they are expected to maintain a naturally aspirated engine. That's kind of that's kind of all we know at this point. Um, I guess some some of the things that we've seen from the images that we've gotten of it, which which are primarily testing images around the Nurburgring, et cetera, is it's going to have a top mounted spoiler, which is interesting. I think it's ugly, but it's interesting. And uh, the reason you have a top mounted spoiler is it reduces drag, um, so you get you get a little bit more airflow over the over the rear wing. And it also is going to have uh, center lock wheels, which is which is interesting. You've seen those on some of the RS cars, but not on the base GT3 before. Yeah, I for one, I'm happy that they're trying to keep the formula the same way that it's always been because, well, we know that it's worked very well so far. So why change something that's worked really well? But, yeah, you know, yeah. when it comes to the 911 lineup, Porsche, I think there hasn't been any other manufacturer that's, that that it's been as good as Porsche as far as not really redesigning the whole car, but just making it a little bit better than the previous generation and a little bit better and a little bit better. And every time, you know, you have a chance to drive one of the newest models, you're seeing the, the first thought that comes to mind is what a great car it is. I have no idea how they're going to make it better. And then they come out with the next generation and they do make it better. So it's more an evolution than a revolution when it comes to the 911. And I think that's, Fantastic. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see if they keep uh, a manual transmission option. Uh, from what I understand, there's been a fairly high take rate, at least in the United States, on the manual transmission. So I, I hope that with the next generation GT3, they they, they continue that. Um, yeah. 
Now, and definitely GT3 is the the purest form of the 911, but yeah. the least form of a Ferrari is is coming out here pretty soon too. With the with the it's such an ironic name, but they're yeah. So we've seen we've seen some camouflaged images of Ferrari's SUV that they're that they're going to make. And they're supposedly going to call it the Puro Sangue, which is Italian for uh, pure blood or Italian for thoroughbred. I, and um, like, I just can't believe that they're going to call it that. I mean, this is the first Ferrari SUV. It's the first Ferrari with four doors. And they're going to call it the pure blood? Like, yes. That's what Ferrari stands for. It's a thoroughbred. No, it isn't. Thoroughbreds are... GT V12 cars with a manual transmission. That's what the purebred purebred should be, not an SUV. Right. And, and this is this is going to be none of those things. And, and in fact, famously, Sergio Marchioni, the, the the former boss of, of Ferrari, he's someone asked him, "Hey, you know, a lot of your competitors, Lamborghini, etc., they're they're coming out with SUVs. Is Ferrari going to make an SUV?" And he said, "And I quote, you'd have to shoot me first." Now, unfortunately. Marchioni passed away in, in 2018 and and right after that Ferrari said all right I guess we're gonna make an SUV so I I'm, I'm really actually uh, surprised by by this now one of the things that we know about the SUV is it's it's supposed to have a turbocharged V8 powering only the rear wheels and then it'll have electrically powered front wheels but they are discussing whether it'll have a V12 or not now I gotta say a, a Ferrari V12 hybrid SUV will be, it will be interesting, but it's not a pure blood. So I don't, I don't know what to think about all that. I agree. And I think the, the V8 should be scrapped and the V12 should be the only option because I think if you want to make this car somewhat special, you need to have that V12 in it. Um, of course, People are going to buy it because, as we've seen, uh, high-performance SUVs are selling like hotcakes. And on top of that, it's going to be a status symbol because it's made by Ferrari. It's going to have the prancing horse. So whether it comes with a V12 or the V8, I'm sure it's going to sell just fine. But if you ask me, it should only be offered with a V12 to just make it that little bit extra uh, special. But Well, one of the things that I think is interesting, uh, and, and one of the reasons why I'm surprised that Ferrari is going to make this is that Ferrari, they, they limit their, they have such high demand for their cars. They limit their total production. So per year, so they come out at the beginning of the year and they say, look, we're going to make 7,500 cars is what it was. And now, now they've moved it up to 10,000 cars. And I imagine with this SUV introduction, they're going to increase it a little bit more. But if you walk into a Ferrari dealership and you say, Hey, I want to buy a car they're going to look at you and be like, okay, well, have you bought a Ferrari before? Because you get priority if you bought a Ferrari before, if you have multiple Ferraris, et cetera. They, they have like this whole like um, way of giving priority to certain customers. And one of the ways that they do it primarily in the way that they maximize their profits rather than saying we're going to sell more cars because they already have a limit. They say we're going to sell more of our expensive cars. So if you walk into a Ferrari dealership and you say, hey, I want to buy a brand new SF90 and I'm going to pay cash. Then they'll be like, all right. And all the extras and all the extras. They'll be like, all right, we'll get you, we'll get you on the order and we'll get one to you as fast as we can. But if you walk in and you say, well, I'm going to buy a, a Roma 
right? They're going to say, all right, all right, that's fine. Um, there's a waiting list and you can, you can get on the waiting list. And really what they're doing is they're, they're waiting for the end of the year so that they can organize their orders so that they can say, Hey, you know, we want the people who are buying the more expensive ones to get priority. And then after we've sold all of the expensive ones that we can, that's when we'll sell our less expensive models. So they actually sell less of their less expensive models than they do of their more expensive models. And so for that reason, I think that the, whatever the price ends up being on this pro sangue, which I've heard car and driver say they're expecting it to be around 335,000. I think it will actually be more than that. I think it's going to be a very expensive, maybe around the half million dollar mark because it's just not worth it for a Ferrari to sell these things at $300,000. You know, you know, you can, you can sit down and sell eight, 12 super fasts all day long at that price. So I, anyways, that's my, that's my take on it. We'll see what happens, but that's what I think. Before we get to the rest of the show, take a moment to subscribe. If you enjoy our insights and want to help keep our lights on, you can visit our businesses. Borja runs a full-service auto repair shop in Orem, Utah. You can find him on Facebook at AutoPros Utah. And trust me, he really can't fix anything. I import cars from South America and Europe, primarily classic trucks like FJ40s and Land Rovers, but I can help you source any classic car in any condition that you want, from cars that were never sold in the U.S. to trucks that are just cheaper with less rust overseas. Visit me at DaveTheCarImporter.com. There's no reason for you to not have the car of your dreams, even if it is forbidden fruit. Ford, this is the opposite direction from the Ferrari news. Ford has announced that they're going to have a new 6.8 liter V8 using push rods. We've got a cam in block V8 coming out of Ford. This is interesting because it's a big departure from their current theory of downsizing with their EcoBoost engines. So the Canadian mm-hmm. Auto Union boss, his name's Jerry Diaz, he he did confirm that this 6.8, actually, I guess we don't know that it's a V8, but he said it's a 6.8 liter cam and block engine. It's for sure coming to the F-150 and to the Mustang. And that's why I say it's a V8. Now, now the last 6.8 liter that Ford sold was a V10. I don't think that it's likely that this one will be a V10. I think it's going to be a downsized and aluminum version of the 7.3 liter Godzilla V8 that you get in this, in the super duty. Yeah. But like you said, it's, it's very interesting the direction that Ford is taking because over the last uh, five, six, seven years, they've made a huge push into the V6 turbocharged engine to their EcoBoost uh, category. And, you know, for the past five, six years, the, uh, car community has been asking, well, what, what's going to happen with the V8s? Are you going to be putting a, another V8 in the Raptor? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And they've always been very adamant. It's like, well, we're sticking with EcoBoost. It's working well for us. It's getting the performance and the mileage that we want. That's the route that we want to move forward on. And then they came out with a 7.3 Godzilla V8, and now they're coming out with a 6.8. Uh, I'm not saying this as a complaint. Uh, not at all. I am a fan of of the bigger displacement V8 engines, uh, but it's an interesting departure of the philosophy that they've been uh, carrying on over the last few years. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I, I uh, when I was in Europe, I rented a 
small Nissan SUV. It was just the cheap one. And uh, on one, on one time that I rented this, I had a one and a half liter turbo engine. And then the next time I had a, uh, a small V6 and they're about the same horsepower, but I got much better real world fuel economy with the V6. So I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. I think that the, the way that we test fuel economy is it favors small engines, small turbocharged engines, but real world actually favors these very simple, uh, you know, older style, naturally aspirated engines, I think when they're done well. And I think that you can see that with GM small block V8, they're very, very reliable. They're, uh, they're actually perform very well compared to the smaller turbocharged engines and they perform well in fuel economy in the real world. And I think that Ford is basically saying, all right, we, we recognize that. That's why they made the 7.3 liter Godzilla V8 in the first place. So, you know, the, yeah. when it comes to the EcoBoost, uh, especially in the F-150s, they, they do really, really well when it comes to mileage. Uh, if you don't have any weight or you're not pulling anything um, and you're careful with your driving, but as soon as you want to drive spirited or as soon as you put some weight uh, on those F-150s with the EcoBoost, they are um, as gas guzzlers as the V8s or even worse. So. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple other things I want to get to really quickly. So we have also Chevy. They've, they've created an E-Crate engine, which is basically, they, they announced this through, they, they created a concept car. It's a 1977 Blazer. And they, they made this specifically to show off this new kit. So you can show up at a Chevy dealership and, and, you know, and you can order or online, you can order crate engines. They've been doing that for a long, long time, but now they have what is basically a 200 horsepower electric crate engine. So it comes with a 200 horsepower, uh, Chevy bolt motor, as well as a 60 kilowatt hour battery. <clears throat> they haven't announced pricing on this but you can basically expect it that it, that it will fit in any GM small block. I'm not sure that it appeals to me, but it's, it's, it's at least interesting. Uh, also some, yeah. some, mo- some motorcycle news. We have the 2021 triumph trident, which has been announced and out in the world. Now, this is kind of a sporty stylish retro standard motorcycle. This is interesting because it has a three cylinder engine and Triumph has other three-cylinder engines, but this is the kind of the first one in its class. It's also going to be the least expensive Triumph. It's going to be around $8,000. Now, Triumph is kind of a premium brand, right? I mean, they make nice motorcycles. And this is, this is going to be their newest, least expensive model. Um, also, kind of along those lines, we have the Aprilia. So Aprilia is a small Italian manufacturer, and they make basically super bikes. I mean, they're, they're a company that's there because they want to go racing. So they sell, they sell fast motorcycles because they want to race them, but they're, they have their first middleweight superbike. It's the RS 660. This is interesting because they're, they're pretty famous for their V4 engines. And this one is basically the engine in this RS 660 is basically their RSV4 is V4 cut in half. So it's inline two. This is really the only middleweight superbike that has that engine configuration. So I think that's interesting. And then lastly, in our motorcycle news is Yamaha has filed a patent for a new turbo three-cylinder engine. So there, there used to be a bunch of turbo bikes in the United States and, and in Japan in the 80s. 
but they didn't really work that well. They weren't very reliable. And so they, you know, they slowly stopped making them in favor of just making slightly larger displacement, higher revving four cylinders. So they, Yamaha has decided that they're going to try this again. And they say that it makes similar power to their inline four engine, about 180 horsepower, by the way, out of a 850 CC motor, but it has way better emissions. This is really important for Europe where they're, they're cracking down on motorcycle emissions. Kind of the last bit of news news I want to get to is Massachusetts in this current election cycle in the U.S., they passed a right to repair law. So basically what this does is it bans automakers from denying independent shops and at-home mechanics access to proprietary data tools, wireless repair services, diagnostic stuff, et cetera, which, which manufacturers are trying to do. You see Tesla doing it. Interestingly, you, you've seen uh, John Deere try to do that. Mm-hmm. And this is basically saying, nope, you have a right to repair your own car and you bought the car, you own it. Manufacturers can't meaningfully stop your access to fixing it for yourself. Which is good news all around. So, I mean, it's just the way it's supposed to be anyway, if you ask me. So, Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I totally agree with that. This is, this is actually a, a pretty big, pretty big step. And... Yeah, we'll see how how repairs of cars evolve as we get more electric cars. But yeah, I know Borja, you've you've thought about this a little bit cause since you since you have a repair shop. Of course, yeah, and you know it's it's one of those things that thankfully we haven't had any major problems uh, thus far. But it's just nice to see that um, the government actually coming into place doing something positive and saying, no, 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 you own the car, you can take it to wherever you want to get it serviced and they should have access to that information. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's, I mean, it's good for everybody. I mean, honestly, the only reason that you would take your car to the dealership is because you're under the warranty because after that, it's expensive to go to the dealership. But you're better off finding an independent mechanic uh, that can fix your car as good as the dealership and it's probably going to charge cost you less to, to take it to that independent shop. So, Yes, as an independent shop owner, this very well suits me and I'm happy for this. You know, as cars get more complicated and they rely more on electronics, it's easier for automakers to do this. I know Lamborghini, for example, they have their own set of diagnostics tools and they won't sell it to you. So they they do not like to sell it to independent shops. They want you to go to the dealer. So I think this is, uh, I think it's a big step and I expect to see other states pretty much follow in line with that here. Yeah. Yeah, here pretty closely. If this episode wasn't enough to satisfy your petrolhead thirst, join us on Monday, where we will discuss the Army's new Baja-inspired infantry squad vehicle, and we do a deep dive into whether or not the new Land Rover Defender lives up to its family name. That's it for this week's Limited Slip Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss our insights into next week's automotive news. If you want to help us keep the content coming, leave a five-star review and visit our businesses at davethecarimporter.com where I help clients import their dream cars from South America and Europe for a flat fee or Borja's business on Facebook at Auto Pros Utah, a full-service auto repair shop. This is David and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast.